Uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles to uh, James chapter 1 if you have them. If not, pull it up on your phone. Uh, and I will have the verses on the screen, but it'll be helpful to see uh, it right in front of you as well. Uh, first off, I am absolutely honored to be here with you guys tonight. Um, I love uh, the BCM. I love what you guys do here. Uh, I love that this is a space where, like we said, uh, people are valued, uh, where God's word is proclaimed faithfully, and where God's word is lived out by the people here, and uh, where the name Jesus is made much of. And so uh, I don't take the opportunity to open up the word tonight lightly, and I am extremely, extremely grateful to be able to hang out with you guys tonight. So uh, over the next few minutes, uh, I'm excited to open up the word, and this is the reason. I'm excited to open up the Word because I believe that every time we open up God's Word, we can approach it with an attitude and with a spirit of expectancy. 2 Timothy 3 says that the Word of God is inspired by God. And because it's inspired by God, it's breathed out by God, it is profitable for us so that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. Hebrews 4 says that the Bible is living, that it's active. And that it's sharper than even a double-edged sword and it's able to penetrate to the parts of our heart and convict us like nothing else can. Isaiah 55 says that God's word will not return void or empty when it goes forth. But it will always accomplish the purpose that it was sent out for. Which for us is to increase our understanding of God and who he is. It's to stir our affections for God. It's to make us more like God so that we can be faithful followers of Jesus for the glory of God. And so every time we're able to open up the word, uh, I'm I'm just excited. And so my prayer is that tonight, as we look in the first few verses of James chapter 1, that God would just do a work uh, in our hearts. So here in James chapter 1, James, he's writing to persecuted believers. Uh, the rest of the book, by the different applications he makes and the things he talks about, uh, which I heard you guys are going through the book of James right now in your D groups, which is really cool that God lined that up. Um, but based on the applications he makes in the rest of the book, um, some of the things that the hardships that these Christians might have been facing were that they were they were poor, um, they were being dragged into court, and they were being sued by the wealthy, they were being oppressed by the powerful, they were suffering for the name of Jesus. And while we may not find ourselves going through hardship that looks exactly like theirs, not one of us is immune to trials living in a sinful world. I don't know what your relationship amongst your friend group is like right now. I don't know what your relationship with your family or with your roommates is like right now. I don't know... um, what kind of things you're going through in your personal life. I don't know how your semester's going. But in a fallen world, none of us are immune. None of us are exempt from trials. None of us are exempt from hardships. And so the question I want us to ask tonight and to answer tonight as we open up this passage is simply, how do we deal with trials? And not just how do we deal with trials, because there's a lot of different ways. There's a lot of unhealthy ways. There's a lot of unbiblical ways that we can deal with trials. But specifically, how is it that God wants us to approach seasons of life where we are facing trials? So tonight, as we walk through verses 2, 3, and 4, James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's going to tell us as believers how to think, how to act, how to operate in the midst of trials. So James chapter 1, we're just going to read verses 2, 3, and 4. So James chapter 1, verse 2, the Bible says, Consider it a great joy, 
my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Tonight, I want us to see just three takeaways from this passage that teach us how we can handle trials in life. And I'll jump right into it. The first one is this. Number one tonight is this. Think of trials as a reason to rejoice. Think of trials, think of hardships as a reason to rejoice. Look back in verse 2. Consider it a great joy when you go through trials. Consider it a great joy. Now that sounds like a pretty tough command. That sounds almost like an unrealistic expectation that God is setting before us. But notice here that James does not command believers to always feel joyous when they go through trials. Rather, he tells them to consider their trials to be a source of joy. The word consider here, it shows us that we're not just, ta- that we're not just talking about an emotional feeling. Rather, we're talking about a state of the mind. We're talking about a perspective, a mental acknowledgement. What isn't being said here is that we always have to feel happy about everything that we go through. And if we don't just feel happy about everything that happens to us, well, then we must be disobeying God. See, the hardships we face in life, they will bring pain. They will bring sadness. They will bring heartache. Sometimes they will even bring depression. And that is normal for us as humans in a fallen world. God is not saying here that we need to invalidate our own emotions or explain them away or just try to like force ourselves to be happy. What he is saying, though, is that he wants us to acknowledge and rejoice in what can come from our trials. He wants, to have, he wants us to have a certain perspective on our trials. Because when it comes to life's trials, what God is most concerned about is not changing our experience or even changing the way that we feel, but rather changing our hearts, changing our perspective and our disposition toward him. Now continue in verse 2. He says, consider it a great joy whenever you experience. He says, whenever you experience trials. We see here, trials are a normal part of life, especially for the Christian. While everyone faces trials, the trials that Christians face are intentional in the fact that they are part of a spiritual battle. There's something going on behind the scenes in the spiritual realm, in the invisible. There is a reality that is happening that we cannot see. And for the Christian, every trial that we face is is either a tool in the hands of God or a tool in the hands of the enemy. I would say it's actually both simultaneously. See, our trials are a tool in the hands of the enemy, Satan, for a destructive purpose. But at the same time, our trials are a tool in the hands of God for a good and a beautiful and a life-giving purpose. Think about the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. For those of you who don't know the story, basically what happens is uh, Joseph has these brothers. His brothers hate him. They're jealous of him. And so they commit uh, an egregious sin against him by taking him from his family and selling him into slavery. And so Joseph is in slavery. He ends up in the house of uh, someone named Potiphar, who is in a position of authority in Egypt. And uh, Potiphar's wife, she tries to seduce Joseph. Joseph, being a faithful man of God, uh, strays from the temptation. He runs in the other direction. 
And then because she was upset about that, she lies and says that he assaulted her. So now he's gone from being in slavery to now being in the house of uh, his master, now to being in prison. And eventually, uh, throughout the story, God continues to work in the life of Joseph and through the life of Joseph. And Joseph ends up leaving prison, and he ends up being second in command in all the land of Egypt to Pharaoh. And basically, it all works out so that the fact that Joseph is there, a lot of people are able to be saved from the famine that is to come. But the end of his story, when Joseph speaks to his brothers again at the end of the story, this is what he says in Genesis 50, 20. He says, as for you, talking to his brothers, the ones who committed this original sin against him, you meant evil against me, but God meant it, it being that evil, that sin, God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, in Joseph's story, and in each of our lives as well, both the enemy and Satan have a purpose for our trials. Satan is working to discourage and destroy us through our trials, but God works through our trials to bring about good. Think about the cross. Think about the gospel. In Jesus' death, Satan thought he had won. He did that as a means of trying to destroy the work that God was doing. And yet, that very same sin committed against Jesus of killing him was the thing that God had chosen to use to bless and to save all the world. You've probably heard the saying before that as a Christian, you're always either in one of three places in life. You're either just coming out of a storm, you're either in the middle of a storm, or you're about to head into a storm. And I kind of hate that because it sounds a little pessimistic. It can be a little discouraging, but at the end of the day, it's true. We shouldn't seek out persecution or seek out hardships or trials, but we should expect them. And that's what James acknowledges here by the language he uses, whenever you experience trials. Now look what else he says, though, in verse 2. He says, whenever you experience various trials. Various trials. The trial that each person is facing is in many ways unique to them. Maybe you're here tonight and your trial is that you're in a struggle against a particular sin day in and day out and you keep giving in and you cannot seem to get victory. Maybe you're going through a trial of a strained relationship with a family member or friend and you've tried to reconcile, you've tried to fix it, but nothing is helping. Maybe tonight there's a trial that you're going through and you're in a season of waiting for a job and you have bills to pay and you have deadlines to meet, but nothing is working out and it's taking forever. Maybe right now you're walking through a season of loneliness and you're asking God to provide you people who you can genuinely connect with. The trial that you're walking through right now is not going to be the same as the person next to you. It's not going to be the same as the person who you sit next to in class. We all walked in here tonight with different trials, but God is telling us in his word that whatever our trial is, we should think of it. We should consider it as a reason to rejoice. Number two tonight is this. Remind yourself of God's perspective. Remind yourself of God's perspective. So in verse two, James says that we should consider it a great joy when we face trials. But then the question becomes, okay, why? Like, what is the reason that we can 
What is the reason that we should think of our trials as a reason to rejoice? Well, he explains that. Look in verse 3. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Why is it that we can think of our trials as a reason to rejoice? It's because of something we know. It's a truth that we hold to. It's our knowledge of the truth that the testing of our faith produces endurance that enables us to think of our trials as a reason to rejoice. It's our knowledge of God's big picture perspective on trials that enables us to rejoice in the midst of them. See, as believers, we know that God grows our faith and our perseverance through times where our faith is tested. Like if you were to come in here tonight and you were sitting and eating dinner before him and somebody uh, random, maybe someone who isn't a believer and is in here for the first time, just came up to you and said, hey, um, is, there any, is there any purpose for trials in the life of a Christian? If they were to ask you like that oddly specific question out of nowhere. Um, but if someone did ask you that, you would know exactly what to say. Obviously, you would say, well, of course, God uses trials in our life to strengthen our faith. God uses trials to make us closer to him. Something to that effect. We all know that that's true. But how many of us also know that just because we know something doesn't mean that we can't forget it? It's like when you're taking a a test or a quiz and you get to a question and you're just like, Man, I have no idea. I have no idea what this answer is. And I studied and I thought I knew the material, but I just don't know what this answer is. So you submit the test of the quiz and maybe it's online. And then you look and you look back at the answer. So you scroll to that question and you see it. And what do we say most of the time? Oh, I knew that. I knew that. The problem is not that you didn't know the answer, that it wasn't somewhere up there in your head. The problem is that you simply forgot what you know. It's the very same thing in our spiritual lives. We know God's perspective. We know that we have trials to grow our faith, but we often forget that truth. And that's when we fail to rejoice in the midst of our trials. It's in the times where we don't think of our trials as a reason to rejoice. When we don't have that perspective, it's not because we don't know. It's because we've forgotten and we need to be reminded. And as believers, where is the best place to go to be reminded? of God's perspective on our lives and on the way that the world works. It's by reading his own words, his own thoughts in his word, in scripture. See, for many of us, we don't think of our trials as a reason to rejoice because we forget his perspective. And often the reason we forget his perspective is because we're not reading his perspective. We're not taking time to meditate on his word. And so what happens is we go through life And when we face trials, we become completely undone and we get so thrown off and we get so consumed with worry about every little thing that happens. And a lot of times the reason is because we're not taking regular time to ground our minds and our hearts in the word of God through meditating upon scripture and prayer every single day. See, our ability to rejoice in trials is dependent upon us remembering God's perspective. And our remembering God's perspective is completely dependent upon the time that we spend in God's word. So we've seen that when we walk through trials, we should, one, we should think of them as a reason to rejoice. We should, two, constantly remind ourselves of God's perspective by spending time with him and meditating on his word. The final takeaway for us tonight from this passage is this. Release control. Let your situation run its course. And trust God's timing. Release control, 
Let your situation run its course and trust God's timing. Start back in, let's just start in verse 2 again. It's only three verses. Uh, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Verse 4, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Let endurance have its full effect. It's the language of stepping back. It's the language of taking our hands off of something. Let it have its full effect. And when we say release control, um, we're not saying that we really have any control anyway. Like God is sovereign over all things. There's nothing outside of his sovereignty, including our trials and our difficult circumstances. But the idea is that so often we're tempted to worry. We're tempted to try to manipulate situations. We're tempted to try to rush things in order to feel like we have some semblance of control over the situation when really we don't have any. Instead, God tells us to let this process of building endurance in us have its full effect. In other words, let the situation run its course in his timing. And why is it that we must do this? It's because according to this text, there is an end goal in our endurance building process. And it's the ultimate reason that God allows for us to walk through hard times. It says, let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Why is it that we need to trust God, release control, and let our trials run their course in his timing? Because in our trials, God is rounding us out in our character. He's making us more like Jesus. See, as believers, God's goal is that we would become more like Jesus, whatever it takes. And if we're going to become more like Jesus over the course of our lives, it means that there's all these different fruits of righteousness that God is going to need to grow in us in the areas where we're lacking them. I know we already had dinner in here tonight, so most of you guys uh, are full probably, but is anyone here, is anyone in here hungry and would like a snack? Not everyone all at once. Oh. Okay, Mackenzie, I saw your hand first. All right, all right. Okay, do you like bananas? All right, perfect, all right. You can come up here. I have two bananas. You can only have one, though, okay? All right, you can only have one. And it's for tonight, okay? Okay. So which banana would you like? Definitely the ripe one. Definitely. Okay, this one, the yellow one? Because, why? Because it's ripe? Okay. So you wouldn't want this one right now? No. No. No, it's it's not ready yet. Okay, all right, there you go. Thank there you. you. Does anyone want this? It can sit on their counter for a few days. Okay, there you go. Stand back there. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, that was my fault. Bad throw. So the reason she didn't choose the green banana is because it was unripe. But what was the difference between that unripe? banana that wasn't ready to be eaten, and the ripe banana, which is delicious and perfectly ripe. What's the difference? Right. It's time. It needs more time. And if you try to take and eat the fruit before it's ready, it doesn't taste like it's supposed to. Why? Because the only way you can get good fruit is by waiting. There's no substitute. And it's the same with the fruit that God grows in our lives, little by little, over time, through trials and life circumstances that may be difficult and may take longer than we would want, 
but that are going to produce an eternal reward and fruit and make us more like Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight in this process of becoming more like Jesus, this end goal of God's using trials in our life is is foreign to you. Maybe that language doesn't make sense to you, and maybe it's because you don't have a relationship with God. You're not a follower of Jesus, meaning you've never placed your faith in Jesus and followed him with your life. And if that's you here tonight, what you need to know is that you were not created by accident. You are not here by mistake. No, you were created by a all-powerful, perfect, and holy God. And you were created for life, which means to walk in relationship with this holy and perfect God. That's what the Bible describes as life. That's why we were all created. But you and I and every person in here, we have a problem. And that problem is not with God. That problem is with us. And the problem is that we have all sinned. Sin being anything we think, say, or do that goes against God's perfect, holy character. It's the thoughts that we think that are pretty nasty sometimes. It's the words that we say that cut people down instead of building others up. It's the actions that we do that go against God's perfect word. It's the intentions of our heart that are self-serving and selfishly motivated. And the Bible says that our sin creates a necessary separation between us and our creator who we were made for fellowship with. The Bible calls that death, to be separated from the life and goodness of God. Because light cannot dwell with darkness. Perfection cannot dwell with imperfection. But here's the cool thing. Not only is God holy and perfect and just, God is also love. And God loved you and I so much that he didn't want us to die in our sin. He didn't want us to spend eternity from him in hell paying for our sin. No, he loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, God in human flesh, to come to earth and to live the perfect life that we could have never have lived. And to die on the cross. And he didn't die because he deserved it. He died because we deserved it because of our sin. And when he died on the cross, the Bible says he bore the sins of the world upon him. And he was buried and he rose again victoriously. Conquering sin and death. And Jesus says, listen, all who will place their faith, their dependence, their trust in me. All who will follow after me will be saved. We'll experience what the Bible calls eternal life, full, abundant life, actually knowing and obeying and walking hand in hand with your creator in this life and also for all eternity. And if you're here tonight and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, don't leave here tonight without deciding to make the most important decision you could ever do, which is to place your faith in Jesus. Come talk to me. Talk to one of the the leaders here. Talk to somebody who you're sitting next to who's a follower of Jesus. Place your faith in him and be saved. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a believer. I would assume that's probably most of the people in this room. And maybe you've been walking through a trial. I don't know what that trial is. 
tonight, just trust that God has got it. It's not outside of his control. In fact, it's happening because it is in his control. But he can see further than you can. And he sees the end goal, which is to make you more like Jesus and experience life even more abundantly. Charles Spurgeon, he said it well when he said it like this, God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we can't see what he's doing. We have to trust his heart. And maybe for you, you've been walking through a trial where you can't quite see God's hand. Maybe you've been giving in to worry and fear. Maybe you've tried to manipulate circumstances or rush the process to get it to an end. I found myself there as well. And if you're in that place tonight, as we sing this last song, and as we have a time of response tonight, place that in the hands of God. When you were dead in your sin, when you were separated from Him, God did not fail to save you. He's not going to drop the ball now. You can trust Him. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we